Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the weird darkness. I'm Darren Marlar, the creator and host of Weird Darkness, bringing you true stories of the paranormal, supernatural, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. New episodes seven days a week. Get the podcast at WeirdDarkness.com or search for Weird Darkness in your favorite podcast app. Welcome to Paratruth Radio, the Christmas edition. (laughs) Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And tonight we are going to be delving deep into the Christmas lore uh, we've got two, I guess you could call them both creatures that are associated <laughs> with Santa Claus. Uh, yeah. We've got the Christmas elf, which everybody knows Santa's little helpers, the elves. And we're going to discuss the magic reindeer that Santa has uh, that flies his sleigh. Now, I had only found a little bit about... It's mostly just reindeer in general. Um, you, you know, they're they're found more north than the deer that we find here in the U.S. Uh, they are typically found in Iceland, uh, even in Canada. So, in a sense, I can see how reindeer kind of got associated with the the North Pole. But Eric was able to actually find a little bit more information. Um, even with the lore of how it kind of all got started with, with the reindeer for Santa. So, Eric, I'll have you start us off with the reindeer lore. Yeah, well, I think when we think of just Christmas in general, and especially Santa Claus, uh, we think it's actually a very old tradition, the idea of Santa. Like, how far back does it really go? Is it 100 years, a couple hundred years, et cetera, et cetera, a thousand years? Well, when it comes to reindeer, it's actually pretty young, all considering. The first known written account of a reindeer in association with Santa uh, was about 1821. In that year, the New York printer, uh, his name was William Gilly, published a 16-page booklet titled A New Year's Present to the Little Ones of from 5 to 12, number 3. That's what it's called. Uh, the book in that setting, uh, the reindeer are introduced into Santa Claus's narrative, and it goes, Old Santa old Santa Claus with much delight, his reindeer drive this frosty fright, a frosty night. Let's hope it's not frightful. That's <laughs> not Santa. <laughs> that frosty night. What we, what we played last week, the, the, uh, monsters of Christmas. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and so that was the first time that we actually heard about reindeer pulling Santa Claus was that book, a new year's present in 1821. Then in 1822, uh, there was an interview with New York's Troy Centennial editor, or uh, Orville L. Holly, uh, who had questioned Mr. Gilly regarding the booklet's author and the topic of reindeer. Gilly basically responded that 
that the idea of Santa Claus was not his, nor was the idea of reindeer. The author of the tale submitted the piece with little added information. However, it should be noted that he did mention the reindeer in his subsequent correspondence. He started that far in the north near the Arctic lands, a series of animals exist. These hooven and antlered animals resemble the reindeer and are feared and honored by those around. As you see, he claims to have heard they could fly from his mother. So this is just a tale that was given to Mr. Gully about some reindeer in the north that supposedly could fly. Something he heard from his mother. Uh, and from there, it kind of took off. In 1823, the Tricentennial published a poem called A Visit from St. Nicholas, uh, which is most commonly known today as The Nightmare Before. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm thinking of the movie Nightmare Before Christmas (laughs) most commonly known as The Night Before Christmas and in that particular poem the poem uh, features eight flying reindeer which pull Santa's sleigh and for the very first time ever this is 1823 they are each identified by name now of course we all know the name based on a simple song known as Rudolph, which is really interesting. You want to learn all the reindeer names? Yes, sing Rudolph the <laughs> reindeer as it begins with all their names. Uh, and so, with that said, I'm actually going to read this because it's, it's it's always interesting. Uh, this is the poem: When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer, with a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be Saint Nick. More rapid than eagles, his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blixen, on Donder and Blixen. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. What's interesting about this is we commonly know two of the most famous reindeer, Donner and Blitzen. Mm-hmm. But their real names aren't Donner and Blitzen. Why they became Donner and Blitzen is probably an English translation. But their original names are Dunder and Blixem. That's D-U-N-D-E-R. And Blixem is B-L-I-X-E-M. This was in the 1823 publication of Santa's 7th and 8th Reindeers. And the reason that they were called Dunder and Blixen is because they were based off the Dutch words, which translate to thunder and lightning. These were the two of the most powerful reindeers that Santa had. Uh, and of course, they corresponded with each other, working off each other, feeding off each other. You can't have thunder without lightning and vice versa for the most part. Um, and so with that said, like these two particular deer became pretty darn famous. Uh, and so they kind of stood out amongst all the other deer until about 1949 with the most recent introduction uh, of the new reindeer, the one that lights the way, and that is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Uh, he came around in 1949, and he's based on the story by Robert L. May. So Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was officially penned in 1949 and was the son of Donner, one of the famous. So I don't really know offhand. I think Rudolph is just Rudolph because it's it's new. It's 1949. Why his name is Rudolph, I don't know. But you would think that a deer that was born by thunder uh, would have had a cooler name than Rudolph. <laughs> well, Rudolph is a heavy German name, so it's probably why they, they went with Rudolph, would be my Makes guess. Makes sense. Yeah. 
but yeah, as far as as far as all these go, like as far as the reindeer go, I mean that's pretty much the short history and the long history. There's not much more that gets in, that it, uh, you can learn off of them, uh, unless we're able to move back into the um, like the Dutch understanding of some of these reindeer because we don't we still don't know exactly where the story came from. Uh, it's clear that no one really seems to know. It's said again, Mister Gilly, he heard it from somebody who heard it from somebody that reindeer in the north flew, and when or how that actually began i think we'd have to go north to find out well if you read the legends it's santa's magic hay duh magic hay that makes is that what we're calling it these days (laughs) (laughs) well today we would call it weed but that's right (laughs) why rudolph is a drunk because he's got a red nose but we won't even get into that part of it um but that that's something that's being a a, write, a writer a fiction writer myself now you know one thing that always runs through my mind is where where did these stories come from how did the ideas come up even not even just the the reindeers themselves but Rudolph like what was the inspiration for this because the story already had the lead reindeers why why were we looking for a new reindeer to lead the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and I feel like Rudolph is truly just a, a something for the children. Honestly, I think that's why he was created. Something for the children. He, was, he is a kid. Rudolph is a kid to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was something that children could relate to. I mean, a deer with glowing nose. I mean, it's pretty cool for kids, you know. Uh, and maybe there's some type of relatability. I mean, if we, anyone who's seen uh, the Rudolph movie, Rudolph Shiny New Year, I think it might be. I don't know if that was the, the, the one that one was just Rudolph, I believe. It was just Rudolph. So I, both of them, though, both Rudolph and Rudolph Shiny New Year, you you really get to, as a kid, I, I think you can find a lot of relatability with the things that Rudolph goes through with being different uh, and how he goes, like how he stands against bullies or how he continues to move forward in life, uh, even with the bullies constantly pushing him around or people treating him differently because of the shiny nose that he has um, or glowing nose. So I, I think really in that time of 19, the 1940s, uh, 1942, I believe I had mentioned it was, or 1949, uh, I think that was a big a big cause uh, for for Rudolph to show up at that time. Well, it was also after just after World War II, so they were probably trying to make light of um, the the war being over and and trying to get everybody into high spirits again. So they had mm-hmm. to come up with something during the Christmas season to to start getting everybody back in high hopes of World War II is over, peace is finally here. You know, let's let's celebrate together instead of being sorrowful that we had a war. Right, for sure. Well, and I think it's interesting because when when you look at some of the the uh, mythology, uh, especially German Germanic mythology, uh, for example, uh, Thor is one particular person uh, in their mythology, and Thor is the god of thunder. And apparently soars through the sky uh, in a chariot pulled by two magical goats. Now, Thor was highly revered and was arguably the most popular of the Norse gods. I, I think that's 
pretty much still how it is today. <laughs> uh, but there were a lot of images and stories of Thor soaring in the skies uh, in his sleigh or in his uh, chariot uh, pulled by two horned goats in particular. And that may very well led the way to creating Santa Claus and his reindeer, these horned creatures that pull Santa's sleigh. Well, and that, that's probably where the names actually kind of came from, too, because since Thor was so associated with lightning and thunder, I believe both, I mean, why wouldn't his steeds be named that? And, and because Santa kind of has that Odin, older Thor kind of look with the white beard and um, able to to fly with these reindeer. Maybe that's where some of the legend was actually derived from for Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. Well, and I wonder, like, this is just something about something I learned the other day, but do we happen to know the order of the reindeer, like front to back? Who is it? Like, is it Donner and Blixen that are in the front or are they in the back? It's actually, I believe it goes along the same lines as the story. Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Dunder, and Blixum. So, but I'm trying to figure out, like... Dasher and Dancer would have been at the head. Okay. Um, That's what I, I thought. I believe at the, at the beginning, they were all in one row. And then mm-hmm. eventually it got to the to the point in pop culture where they were paired side by side. Okay. So that's really interesting because if that is the case and Donner and Blitzen, uh, we'll just call them by their current American named versions of themselves, Donner and Blitzen instead of Dunder and Blixen. Um, but Dunder and Blixen just sounds so much more badass. It, it, it does sound a lot cooler, but I'll get, I'll get tongue tied as I'm trying to say <laughs> it a lot. So I'm just going to stick with Donner and Blitzen right now. <laughs> uh, so one thing that I learned the other day, um, I'm a huge fan of Siberian Huskies. You know that, mm. but I was watching, um, Moonshiners. It's the first time I've ever watched it. And I was like, ah, it's kind of interesting, but they were in Alaska and, or one of the guys was in Alaska and he had to go find somebody, uh, that he wanted to deliver moonshine to. And so he had to take a dog sled. And so the woman that he had acquired, uh, acquired that he paid <laughs> <laughs> to take him, uh, to this place. She had a dog sled team. Uh, she started rounding up the dogs and putting them on their leashes and teaching them, teaching him how to put them in harnesses. Uh, and they were explaining why the dogs or how the dogs are set up. And in the beginning or in the front of the pack, you have your leaders. These are dogs that are usually pretty small or relatively small. They take the command pretty easily. Uh, so they lead in a way, but then as you get closer to the sled, the dogs get bigger. And that's where some of the Siberian Huskies, the purebreds sit because a Husky is a bigger dog and a much stronger dog than some of the lead dogs. And with that said, the Huskies that are at the very back are the ones that power through, like they, they're the ones who give the power and the speed to the, to the, to the sleigh or to the sled. They're the motor horse of it, you know? Uh, and I, I just, the reason I bring that up is I thought it was interesting to think that both Donner and Blitzen being thunder and lightning would be at the back. They're the two that are creating the speed and the power. Uh, and it goes right along the lines with what real, you know, 
dog sled teams do. The one, the ones that are very much like Santa's sleigh in a way. Well, yeah. After you explain that, that makes a lot more sense because if they were named after thunder and lightning, they would have must have had the more power to push the sleigh. Yeah. Or I guess pull the sleigh, not push the sleigh, but yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I want to say that I remember, um, I, I do believe we covered this a couple years ago and I, I want to say, I remember reindeer, um, somehow embody, Something about the the uh, pagan religions, like them being a part of the winter solstice festivals and whatnot, but I cannot find any information or or um, remember what exactly it was that they introduced or anything. Um, so I, I I think it. The, the reindeer come from a couple facets, mostly the pagan holidays that we ended up incorporating into Christmas. And um, like we were saying, maybe it was from Norse mythology at one point with, with Thor and the two goats. And uh, even going further with some of the other religions. But it's just so fascinating that all a, a lot of this all just kind of came from stories and songs. Mm-hmm. The just the the Santa lore in general. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I think that's about all we can talk about for reindeer. Um, you know, to this day. I still find Santa and and the stories just really fascinating, and even even the stories with reindeer. Um, and I mean, most people don't really know this. Reindeer aren't actually deer; they're elk. So it kind of makes more sense that they would be more north because elk are are more associated with Canada, Alaska, um, Iceland. Norway, a lot of those uh, more north countries. So now I think we can get a little bit into the Santa's elves lore. And it's actually kind of interesting. I was reading through some stuff today and I, you know, I, I know the legends of the elves being with Santa going back to the, the original stories. But the one thing that I found fascinating is elves are present in Germanic, British, and Scandinavian folklore. Some are good elves. Some are dark gnomes that are like elves, and they're the bad elves, I guess you could call them. But the one thing that I found fascinating was going back to pagan times, elves were believed to be guardians of the home against evil. Now, if you were good, then they would protect you. If you were bad, they would play tricks on you. So to keep the elves well-fed, happy and out of mischief, people left a bowl of porridge on the doorstep at night. The use of the name elf in in Old English 
reflects the character's mischief mischievous nature. Uh, the English word elf is from the Old English. I'm assuming it's pronounced elf, but it's like an A and E combined LF. Uh, the word was combined to create the words elf foddle, nightmare, and elf sagoda, hiccup. Aff- Affliction is apparently thought to be caused by the elves. Hmm. So, going further into the future, uh, it was actually the 19 around the 1970 or the 19th century that elves actually started being incorporated into the Christmas war. It was around the mid 1800s. Um, and then it, they became Santa's helpers. Uh, Christmas celebrations were gathering popularity and Scandinavian writers pen the elves role as we know it today. Good hearted, fairy like helpers of Santa Claus that are sometimes mischievous. I don't, think I've ever heard of Santa's elves being mischievous until recent pop culture. Have you? Uh, no, not really. Like, I mean, and, and you're right. Like I was watching a movie the other day, uh, the Christmas Chronicles on Netflix. Mm. Um, and the elves in there were very much mischievous too, running around with chainsaws, trying to chop people up. <laughs> Not that they were bad. I mean, it was a good, it was a kid movie, you know, but it was like these elves are a little rambunctious and crazy. Um, They would do anything to protect the girl and to protect the secret of Santa's workshop. So they're like beating people up and punching them. And the one elf is about to, you know, pulls up this, I think it was a chainsaw or an ax or something. is like about to saw this dude's leg off. And the girl's like, no. And then he stops and he's like, oh, and he walks away all sad. And I'm like, man. Elves are scary. <laughs> I'm never going to Santa's uh, workshop. Well, I mean, that's just like the original lore for fairies. I mean, fairies were these mischievous, almost evil type creatures. But today we've turned them into these good, happy things that grant wishes, kind of. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's... It's interesting because it really depends on the the time period and all that. Um, The medieval Europeans saw elves as dark uh, and dangerous, and they even considered them demons, or at least linked them to demons. Mm. Uh, In the old English Beowulf, uh, which dates to sometime between 700 AD and 1000 AD, elves get a mention as an evil race that descended from Cain. That's, of course, the biblical son of Adam and Eve who murdered his brother. Uh, It says, of Cain awoke all that woeful breed, Etans and elves and evil spirits, as well as the giants that warred with God. I don't know. That's interesting. You know, it's another take on medieval stuff and a lot of stuff. When it comes to the darker times, you know, medieval Europe, you know, it's considered the dark ages. Well, Um, not to go off on too much of a a rabbit trail, but it it almost sounds like they're driving stuff from the Bible, but the time frame is a little bit different according to what we believe now, because we believe giants came before Cain and Abel, right? In the Bible? Uh, no. No, no, that was after. Oh, after Cain okay. and Abel. Way after. <laughs> so it would seem at least. But anyway, so jumping back from the quick little rabbit trail there, uh, 
yeah, you had mentioned that elves had really come into known uh, 19th century or around the mid 1800s. Uh, again, the very first uh, mention as far as we know of elves, uh, was linked with the Santa Claus in the 1823 poem. Can you guess it? The night before Christmas, the nightmare before Christmas. So right. yes, the, <laughs> the night before Christmas. And in that poem, we don't mention that he has elves, but instead the poem refers to Santa Claus as a jolly old elf. Um, now with the elf Christmas link established at that point, other writers began to get creative with the idea as well. In 1857, Harper's Weekly published a poem called The Wonders of Santa Claus, which tells how Santa uh, keeps a great many elves at work, all working with all their might to make a million of pretty things. Cakes, sugar plums, and toys to fill the stockings hung up, you know, by the little girls and boys. Um, and of course, that idea caught on. That was 1857. But in 1922, the famed artist Norman Rockwell released a painting of an exhausted Santa surrounded by tiny industrious elves trying to get a dollhouse finished in time for Christmas. Then in 1932, a short movie by none other than Disney called Santa's Workshop showed bearded blue clad elves singing, prepping Santa's sleigh, brushing reindeer's teeth and helping Santa with the naughty and nice list. Um, and of course... As time went on, we get into the Misfit Elf in 1964's now classic TV special, the Rudolph, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, and then in 2003, we got Buddy the Elf, which not a huge fan of Buddy the Elf, but hey, I know so, I know some people out there. One person in particular could be really upset to hear me say I don't like Buddy the Elf. <laughs> <laughs> well, there would be two because actually Shelly has fallen in love with the Elf movie as well. Yeah, my sister's the same way. She always wants to watch it, and I'm like, no, not watching freaking Elf. Well, there's a third that you probably know you just don't realize is our good friend Heidi. No, that she's the one I referred to oh, originally. She, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. She was talking about Ellie originally. <laughs> no, no, and it was, it's actually Aaron who watches Elf all the time. Oh, so, but yeah, no, Heidi was the, the, the one, the, the one that shall not be named ever again because she likes Elf too much. So, so. Voldemort, <laughs> she who, who shall not be named. For, for now, I say she who shall not be named. We know who we're referring to. Sorry, Heidi. <laughs> so it, the, the interesting thing is, you know, did you, did you say anything about Elf on the Shelf? No. This, I mean, this one was also originally a book, and the the description or the plot of the story was basically this: Santa's scout elves hide in people's homes to watch over events. Once everyone goes to bed, the scout elf flies back to the North Pole to report to Santa the activities, good and bad, that have taken place throughout the day. Before the family wakes up each morning, the scout elf flies back from the North Pole and hides. By hiding in a new spot each morning and around the house, the scout elf plays an ongoing game of hide-and-seek with the family. The elf on the shelf explains that scout elves get their magic by being named and being loved by a child. In the back of each book, families have an opportunity to write their elf's name and the date that they adopted it. Once the elf is named, the scout elf receives the special Christmas magic, which allows it to fly and to and from the North Pole. 
The, tel- the book tells how the magic might disappear if the scout elf is touched. So the rule for the elf on the shelf states, there's only one rule that you have to follow. So I will come back and be here tomorrow. Please do not touch me. My magic might go. And Santa won't hear all I've seen or I know. Although families are told not to touch their scout elf, they can speak to it and tell it their Christmas wishes so that it can report back to Santa accurately. Now, this elf has most recently been getting into some very weird and and flabbergasting shots by people. And, I mean, it's interesting how it's evolved from this kid's thing to these adults making this elf do very crude and weird things. (laughs) Well... I don't think there's anything on the box that says it specifically for like ten year olds. <laughs> well, so it says a child that could be a child at heart that names names the elf. Well, and some <laughs> of the adults are quite children. So, <laughs> so as I was doing some research, I was I came across this thing. Um, the the information on the elf I got from elfcrazy.com. And they've got this little box package that it almost looks kind of like Elf on the Shelf, sort of, um, just not as creepy. They made it a little more cute looking. Mm-hmm. And it looks like this Elf still gets into a lot of trouble, but it's not as creepy as the the original Elf on the Shelf. Yeah. I think your sister has an elf on the shelf. She always posts it yes. like, at the beginning of each year. Yeah, it's creepy, man. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Give that to, to the dog. Chew toy. <laughs> All right, folks. I think we're going to take our break here. You've been listening to Paratruth Radio right here at paratruthradio.com. We will be right back right after this. Coming up on 5-Minute News... I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily. There are spirits everywhere, watching, waiting, seeking that opportune time to reveal themselves like no other. They fill our worlds with so much. Seriously? You didn't just do that. You farted on the promo? What's wrong with you? I thought you were professional. Go away. Go. I, I got it. I got it. Hey, everybody. It's Brian Bowden, host of Nobo Boomy, where we explore deep inside the Goblin universe. We have an amazing show that covers the paranormal, conspiracies, music, art, entertainment, trending topics, and so much more. Please join us by subscribing to the show on Podbean at InsideTheGoblinUniverse.Podbean.com, on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and everywhere you find podcasts. It's an informative, fun, and overall entertaining good time, and uh, we'll keep the gas to ourselves. Why don't you burp next time? 
Someone get me Brian Anderson. What's up, folks? Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we have been discussing reindeer and the elves. Uh, and in particular, their history, where they came from, where they've been, where they are. We don't know. Somewhere north. But it's been an interesting conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we learned quite a few things today that I didn't know offhand. I mean, especially elf stuff. Oh, for that matter, I didn't know the Dunder and Blixem thing either, really. Uh, so it's always nice when you're doing a show and learning new things. <laughs> well, here's a question for you. Now, we were, we were just talking about the elf on the shelf, and for some reason, this popped into my brain. Uh, with naming the elf, and, and it's already associated with, with mischief or whatnot, do you think that an entity, regardless of, of what we would name it, could somehow latch on to that and manipulate the the elf. Um, it, like, like, we see it, and people are obviously manipulating it. But do you think it could go to that extreme? I mean, I, sure, why not? I mean, anything can go to that extreme, I, I'd imagine. Uh, especially when we're talking about, like, spiritual aspects of it. But... I mean, I don't see why not necessarily. I mean, we, we see a lot of like dis, uh, stories about haunted dolls and whatnot. Right. So, right. you know, to think that it wouldn't or couldn't. The only difference is that I think unlike stuff like Annabelle or the few others, Elf on the Shelf is a very popular toy created, you know, yeah. held by thousands of people. You know, they're, they're all a bunch of people are out there have them. And so it had to be one like specific case that somebody's already involved in some way beforehand for it to attach itself. But otherwise I guess like most things that are just really popular, um, even though there's like a sense of power to it, there's not a sense of mystery. And I think it's the mixture of power and mystery that really leads spiritual entities to attach themselves to something. Uh, the few games that we've talked about, I mean, the Ouija board is notorious because of what it was used for originally mm-hmm. um, compared to the game. So that obviously already had a, a beginning. But then we, you had mentioned a while ago that pencil game. I forget what that was called. Uh, um, that was uh, Sam, 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 or Sam, Sam, something like that. Um, that's very new. Mm-hmm. but not very popular. And so someone can use it and create, you know, make it whatever they want. And then suddenly you have a spirit that's, you know, more or less attached to it. Uh, but when you have like elf on the shelf, which is very strictly a Christmas tradition, a holiday tradition, uh, it's something that's not around all year long. And therefore probably not something that a spirit would bother attaching itself to. Cause it's like, it's there for one moment and next it's stored away. Um, and I think most spirits are looking for something that's going to be around for a while, something that they can manipulate on a long-term basis as opposed to the short term. Okay. We talked about stuff so much. It kind of made me wonder because like we, we have heard about those attachments to things, especially dolls in particular. So it kind of makes you wonder a little bit, but Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense, though, what you're saying. They would want to attach to something that is constantly sitting in the area where people would be and that sort of thing. That that would, if we're talking about demons 
I mean, that that's where they would have the most manipulation is to attach themselves to something that's around everybody. So, all right. So, looking at the the entire Christmas um, season, even though we missed last week and we had the replay of Yuletide Monsters, um, is there anything? Doing the the show and doing the research on the different creatures and whatnot that we've done that are associated with Christmas brings any any thoughts to your head, even if it's just in general, like the the intrigue of the myths that have come out of the Christmas season. Um, I mean, I find a lot of like things about the holiday and just the season in general, the winter season, Christmas season, whatever you want to call it Uh, in general, that's very intriguing. Uh, I mean, the obvious pagan, pagan beliefs and rituals uh, that regard the solstice, uh, the winter solstice in particular, how everything's dead or dies uh, and eventually to be reborn again in the spring, Um, how Christmas or winter, I mean, uh, is more or less not so much an omen, but you know, it's a reference to death. You know, it's, it's when everything is dead. It's, it's, it's weird. You know, it's like you look outside and there's nothing but skeletons. That's what the trees are. You know, they have they have no whatever you want to call it. No leaves. So flesh, hair, you name it. Um, you just got a bunch of skeletons sitting around ice. It's cold. It's bitter. It's, you know, all, the, all that stuff. And I find that really intriguing because it's even though it's one of those times of years that tend to be very gloomy, uh, very cold, very bitter. It's probably one. of It's definitely one of my favorites. Um, and I enjoy it. But there's also so much joy that can come from it, too, because of what's what's in between, like what's in the middle there. And I think that's what's interesting about the holiday in general. You have this season that is more or less the season of death. And yet there's something so joyful right smack dab in the center of it. And that is Christmas, which kind of lights everything up and brings, you know, uh, just, I guess, new happiness to 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 a season that is more or less rough <laughs> i guess <laughs> um but aside from that i mean there, there's just a lot of stuff that's really interesting uh along those lines too and you know the yuletide monster was one that you you just posted that's one of my favorite shows i think that we did for christmas uh and there's a lot of history there that's just really intriguing uh, and a lot of fun to experience and i guess witness in a historical or educational manner so I don't know. I, I mean, I think there's always something in every season, but winter is definitely one of those seasons where you can look at it and be like, wow, look at, like, think of all the things that correspond in the winter. And that's the pagan roots of it, the Christian roots of it. Um, you know, everything that's Germanic and Celtic and et cetera, et cetera. It all kind of comes together to create what we currently have here in the U.S. at least. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's, one of the reasons that I've always liked it is just the history in general of the different different legends that we have now that have created Santa Claus and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, now, I don't know if you've ever come across this, but, you know, we, we've talked about how Christmas was made December 25th to <clears throat> incorporate pagan uh, traditions and everything to, to bring pagans to Christianity and whatnot. Do you know of any research or, or anything that you've seen that they also associated, you know, death and resurrection 
and that's why they moved it to December 25th because you were just saying, you know, winter is kind of that spot that's supposed to kind of represent death and and also rebirth because we know that everything will come back the in the spring. Yeah, um, no, not particular, and I think a big reason for that is Christmas, at least in Christian standard uh, tradition. Um, you know, the birth of Jesus is the birth of Jesus. It's, it's not like Easter, which is the death and resurrection of Christ. Uh, it's vastly different. Uh, and if that were the case, if they're going to do something like that, it'd make more sense to move Easter to the winter and move, you know, Christmas to the spring. The only problem with that is that Easter, when we celebrate it, it's, it's exact or near exactly, um, the same dates that Christ had died and resurrected, uh, same season and all that in, you know, Israel. So Christmas, on the other hand, like no one really knows when Christ was born. No one knows the exact date. Uh, they know in an approximate year at least. Um, but I feel like the big reason that they chose Christmas is because was because of the pagan rituals originally, you know, they wanted, you know, Christianity wanted to overstep the pagan uh, belief system and the pagan rituals and create something of their own. And at the same time, use it to try to lead people to Christ, uh, which obviously it's been very successful at that. And otherwise you wouldn't have Christmas <laughs> today. Uh, but also I think it's, it's again, the, the idea or the joy of what the meaning of Christ being born is, you know, it's the idea is before Christ is born, all who lived were dead already. There was no salvation for them. You die, who knows what happens. Um, and so as winter is dead, putting Christ's birth in the middle of it would be, look, here's the, the joy that God has brought you. The, okay. the chance to live forever um, and not be like the rest of the world around you, basically. So I don't know. I mean, that's that's my two cents. And that's more or less you know some of the stuff that I've learned uh, in my research. But. Right. Yeah. Well, that's why I asked because you have gone through uh, school to to um, have all this this different research at your at hand. Because I mean, quite honestly, even though I have read the Bible and have not recently, I, I still don't know a lot of the stuff that is said in there because I don't know how to uh, translate it to how I can comprehend what it's supposed to mean. And and you've had the more of the training that tells you that. So that's why I was kind of curious. Um, I think that's, that is about it. Unless there's anything that you need to add there. No, I think the only thing I have left to say is the same thing you're probably going to want to say. And that is Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, yep. Uh, before I do, that really quick. I just wanted to thank uh, Darren Marler from Weird Darkness for uh, sponsoring this week's episode of Paratruth Radio. Uh, if you didn't hear it, it was at the beginning of the episode, uh, a uh, quick commercial for his show as well. Uh, and I also wanted to thank TMD <laughs> Cafe and uh, Fringe Radio Network for continuing to have us on their networks in uh, the past year and continuing. So 
interesting thing to remember, folks, is next time you hear us, it will be a live show. Uh, it's going to be a call-in show. So we want to get your guys' interaction. So make sure you're paying attention next Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, and uh, you will get notifications when we are live. And we want to hear your guys' thoughts. It doesn't even have to be about the show. Just what you think of a certain topic or uh, a guest that you would want to suggest. We would love to hear from you instead of just getting emails or comments because uh, bringing a voice to our listeners is really important to us. So until next week, folks, Merry Christmas. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware. When your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come through. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe. 